0: listening to the bible 126 show Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's o l l y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We're in the book of Job, second session. Took the first couple of chapters last time. And uh, one thing that might be interesting to you, uh, that I found some interesting uh, you know, background on Job himself. We get, there's a number of uh, views as to who he was, but one of the more interesting ones to me, because I like things that are totally self-contained within the Bible, in Genesis 46:13, we have a son of Issachar, one of the twelve sons, of whose name is Job. And it turns out that um, that would make him contemporary with the three friends that are descendants of Esau. I mentioned Eliphaz of Timon uh, was a son of Esau, and I think we mentioned that last time. And uh, uh, Esau yeah, uh, so had a son called Temin, which from which the country gets its name. That's in Genesis 36, verses 10 and 11. Uh, and it's noted for their wise men, that area, uh, Jeremiah 49.7. Um, but also in Jeremiah 25.23, uh, uh, both them are connected with Buzz, who is the brother of Uz in Genesis 22. So it puts it all in about the, about the right time. Bildad the Shuite. Shua was the sixth son of Abraham by Keturah, Genesis 25.2, and mentioned in connection with Esau in Jeremiah 49.8. And um, so we covered all that, but here's what's interesting that I think you might give you another perspective. If job that we're reading from was the son of uh, Issachar in Genesis, then he would have gone down to Egypt with his father and um, so Issachar was about forty when they went down to Egypt, and uh, that would make job about twenty when he went to, when they went down to Egypt. Now, um, he would have uh, been born after. Uh, Joseph was sold. Um, he died 119 years after the death of Joseph, which uh, would make Joe about 91 then. That means his affliction was about 21 years earlier, when he was 70. Now, one thing that's interesting, we know that he, he uh, lived 140 years after the affliction. After all this is over, he's going to get a double blessing and live for 140 years, which implies he was 70 when he got the double blessing of 140 more. See, So he would have been 210 when he he died when joseph uh, excuse me when job dies, Moses would have been fifty five and that would have put him in Midian for about fifteen years. Exodus would be about twenty five years later, just to give you a rough feeling and uh, so one of the views that 's widely held, particularly among the Talmudic authorities is that um, that job was, uh, uh, that uh, Moses was uh, uh, an oral at least or probably written. Uh, Heir to the this, to the book of Job and uh, uh, he may have heard the story directly and he also may have written the book or at least rewritten it from uh, uh, author, uh, sources that he had so the there's a strong Jewish tradition that Moses wrote job um, whether he did or not of course is Subject of scholastic speculation. But I thought I'd share it with you. Of of the various theories of who Job was, that appeals to me because he was the time of the patriarchs, and this does tie him in to something else we'll come to later. There is evidence in the book of Job that he was aware of the pyramids. And if he had been down in Egypt, that would figure. So, for what it's worth. Just another little background. Okay. Well, I'm faced with a difficulty because we've got a fistful of chapters of arguing. And uh, on the one hand, I don't want I, 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 I don't want us to bog down verse by verse, and yet at the same time, uh, uh, I don't want it, it. We're going to try to just cover a lot of ground lightly, and uh, uh, I view the section from from chapter three through about thirty-one of these dialogues as a chunk, and it would be neat if we could get through thirty chapters tonight, because. You don't know, think so? We're gonna take bets. No. Okay. Um, no. Uh, the point is, is that um, uh, I don't want us to. If we take this verse by verse, chapter by chapter, we'll be here for a year. Or so, and, and I, I think that we'll lose everybody. In. So, um, chapter three is. Uh, by the way, the chapters are not long, so it's not quite that bad. But chapter three is when this, these dialogues start. Job opens up with his lament. And uh, basically, uh, you go through the poetry of, of these dialogues, uh, and it's beautifully written poetry. But the essence of chapter three is uh, Job has three laments: Why was I ever born? And if I was born, why wasn't I? Why didn't I die at birth? And since I didn't do that, why can't I die now? No, that's his, that's his uh, agony. That's his expression. But. Um, He's not cursing God. You understand that that's Satan's hope, his ambitions for Job to curse God. And uh, he doesn't do that. He questions a lot. And uh, he uh, questions God's sovereignty and he questions God's wisdom, but he never challenges it. And he doesn't... Uh, uh, he comes right up to the edge. And uh, he has a tough time. And that's part of the the beauty and the, the depth of the book of Job. And um, so... Um, we, well, we'll just well, we'll sample chapter 3. I'll just go through it. After this, Job opened his mouth, chapter 3, verse 1. And Job spoke and said, Let the day perish in which I was born, and the night in which it was said, there is a male child conceived. Let that day be darkness. Let not God regard it from above, neither let light shine upon it. Let darkness and the shadow of death stain it. Let a cloud dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. And as for that night, let darkness seize upon it. Let it not be joined into the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. No, lo, let that night be solitary. Let no joyful voice come in it. Let them curse it that curse the day who are ready to raise up their morning. Let the stars of its twilight be dark. Let it look for light but have none. Neither let it see the dawning of the day because it shut, up, uh, shut not up the doors of my mother's womb nor hid sorrow from mine eyes. Why died I not from the womb? Why did I not expire when I came out of my mother's body? Why did the knees receive me? Or why did the breasts that I should suck? For now should I have lain still and been quiet, I should have slept that I had been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who built desolate places for themselves or with princes that had gold and filled their houses with silver or as an hidden untimely birth, I I had not been as infants who as infants, who never saw light. There, were wic- there the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners rest together, they hear not the voice of the oppressor. This is just um, a man in torment, in agony, uh, wishing for a respite from his, his uh, pains. No more than that. Very eloquently put. And... Uh, why, wherefore is light given to him that is in misery and life unto the bitter in soul, who long for death but it cometh not, and dig for it more than for hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad, when they can, uh, uh, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave? Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God hath hedged in? For my sighing cometh before I eat, and my roarings are poured out like the waters. For the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me, and that which I was afraid of. Has come unto me. I was not in safety, neither had I rest, neither was I quiet. Yet trouble came. Okay, that's just essentially Job's opening. He's, he's down. He's depressed. He's uh, more than that. He's in torment and uh, uh, would welcome the uh, solitude, the peace of, of, uh, of the grave. That's being down. Now we have his three friends. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And uh, Eliphaz seems to be the oldest. We'll call him Eliphaz the eloquent. Eliphaz is going to be very articulate. Uh, Bildad, his buddy, is the brutal. Logical, straightforward, harsh. uh, Just puts it out there. Zophar we'll call the zealous. And he is... um, uh, very, very forceful, uh, very uh, very assertive. So there's the three guys. And uh, the world knows two kinds of people, those that have something to say and those that have to say something. And uh, these three guys are, in, I think, in the second category. Uh, it's I hate to spend too much time on their discourses because they're wrong. And yet, as they develop, you'll hear all our thoughts in them. That's what makes it sort of heavy. Um, their basic argument is, don't you reap what you sow. That's good New Testament theology, right? The Galatians were, don't you reap what you sow. That's what they're going to say. Gee, uh, you know, you're obviously reaping agony, Job. You must have done something wrong. And they hammer that, and hammer that, and hammer that. And as I'm fond of saying, if you have friends like these, you don't need enemies. And, um, it's interesting that uh, Satan had three attacks on Job. First one, he took all his possessions, including his family. Second attack was his health. We went through that in chapter 1 and 2. Third attack is the heavy artillery, the comfort of three friends. And uh, I'm not being flippant or cynical here. That's exactly what the book is about. And you and I can learn lots and lots of things from this book. Um, some of the, uh, the, the answers that we get will be surprising answers. But one of the things we can learn is uh, when we encounter people in trouble is to be more sensitive and responsive than these three characters were. Here's this guy sitting on the ash heap in pain and agony, and they get into a Jewish, typical Jewish, I don't know if they were actually Edomites, but the point is uh, they spent their time arguing. They go through uh, round after round after round of arguments until they finally, until finally Job hangs up the phone. And I uh, hope we get that far. I think we'll get that far. Okay. Eliphaz's basic argument is going to be to uh, follow your own advice, counselor. Most of the arguments he's going to use are arguments that he postures as having originally come from Job uh, himself. And uh, let's let's just jump in. We'll get a flavor of these. We won't, we won't go through verse by verse all, you know... Uh, dozen chapters here. Then Eliphaz the Temanites answered and said, If we venture to converse with thee, wilt thou be grieved? He's starting delicately, gently. Can we talk? But who can withhold himself from speaking? You know, it's funny. I know these are Edomites, but as I read this, I wish I could do a Jewish accent. You know? (laughs) Verse 3, Behold, thou hast instructed many, but and thou hast strengthened the weak hands. Thy words have upheld him that was failing, and thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. But now it has come upon thee, and thou faintest. It toucheth thee, and thou art troubled. Is not this thy fear, thy confidence, thy hope, the uprightness of thy ways? Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being uh, innocent. Whoever perished being innocent. Or where were the righteous cut off? Even as I have seen... They plow iniquity; they sow wickedness. They that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. This is the basic theme that they're going to hammer away. You, you reap what you sow. And if you're reaping agony, then there must be something really bad hidden behind the scenes. Now, remember, as I said last time, that we, we need to establish in our minds the righteousness of Job. Not that he's sinless, but he's blameless. Difference. But we know he's blameless. We got that introduced in chapter one and two, and we're going to have that confirmed by the Lord in chapter forty. You know, later in the the, at the end when the Lord Himself takes up the defense of Job. So Job makes mistakes. His faith is not the greatest faith in the Scripture. Some others, you know, Paul had a lot of suffering. Probably handled it better. Certainly Jesus did, but he's uh, so. So we're not holding Job up as the the most. Uh, the tallest pillar of, of faith per se. So he can, he, 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 uh, he blunders too, but he doesn't fall into the trap that Satan's setting for him. And God himself gives him a thumbs up. And, uh, when we get to the end of the book, we will see a, 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 a scene that we could, uh, allegorize like the Colosseum with the gladiators where they fought. And, uh, Job is bloody and beat up, and the question is: Do we give him a thumbs up or a thumbs down? And he gets a thumbs up. In other words, his life is spared because of the fight that he made. Did he? Did he do it perfectly? No, but he came across pretty well and God accomplished His purpose in defeating Satan's uh, posture. And that we'll get to that when we you know, we'll get to that when we get to that. But there is so. so Job is not going to be perfect. Understand that right up front. But the, the issues he's dealing with are pretty heavy, and this is the, one of the, the basics. There's some basic theology that these three friends hammer away at. And uh, let's see, we got to uh, verse nine. By the blast of God they perish, and by the breath of His nostrils are they consumed. That is the wicked. The roaring of the lion and the voice of the fierce lion, and the teeth of young lions are broken, and the old lion perishes for lack of prey, and the stout lions' who whelps are scattered abroad. So. That's his, um, Eliphaz's basic premise is is the innocent don't suffer. Well, is that true? I don't think so. I mean, apart from Job, you know, we see that in life. Rain falls on both kinds, huh? So, uh, but that is the premise. What we're seeing here, by the way, you're going to see unfolding among these three friends, each expressing the same idea but differently. You're seeing the, uh, the origins of Pharisaism. The Same issue of the Pharisees, outward form rather than inward substance. Now, these are thousands of years before the Pharisees, but the same idea, that same religious mechanic, uh, is is uh, is underlying the, the theology here, and uh, and that's and and that is uh, nothing unique to Judaism in terms of the Pharisees. It's in every church, it's in every denomination. Some more prevalent than others. Takes different form than others. This whole idea. Uh, form over substance, the outward show rather than the inward change. And uh, that's what we're seeing here, and Eliphaz continues. Now, he, uh, Eliphaz indulges here in a uh, pretty cheap shot. You know, the way you show yourself really spiritual is to make an allusion to a special vision, right? And that's what, exactly what Eliphaz does here in verse 12. Eliphaz says, uh, Now now, a thing was secretly brought to me, and mine ear received a little, uh, a little of it in thoughts from the visions of the night, verse 12 and 13, when deep sleep falleth on men, fear came upon me in trembling, which made all my bones to shake. Then a spirit passed before my face, and the hair of my flesh stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern its form. The image was before mine eyes, and there was silence. And I heard a voice saying, Shall moral man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Well, that's, you know, However, verse 13. Behold, he put no trust in his servants, and his angels he charged with folly. How much less in them that dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is that is in the dust, who are crushed before the moth. They are destroyed from morning to evening. They perish forever without any regarding it. Doth not their excellency which is in them go away? They die even without wisdom. And he continues, chapter 5, Call now, if there be any that will answer thee, to which of the holy ones wilt thou turn? For wrath killeth the foolish man, and envy slayeth the silly one. I have seen the foolish taking root, but suddenly I cursed his habitation, and and on he goes. The whole premise that Eliphaz is going to develop here, in chapter 5, is that trouble comes only from sin. That's his premise. And... uh, Verse 4, as children are far from safety, they are crushed in the gate, neither is there any to deliver them, whose harvest the hungry eateth up and taketh even out of the thorns, and the robber swalloweth their substance. Although affliction cometh not forth of the dust, neither doth trouble spring out of the ground, yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. Now, incidentally, this this allusion of children could be uh, an aspersion, if you will, by Eliphaz on Job's loss of all his kids in that one accident back there in chapter 1 into um, so now uh, this this whole um, argument that we're going to see develop from these three guys Eliphaz perhaps being the most eloquent is basically uh, not unsound theology but it doesn't go far enough it's essentially saying that infinite justice rules the universe and if infinite justice rules the universe then uh, 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 you know the, the the only the unrighteous suffer. The trouble with that theology is it's too limited; It doesn't go far enough. God is more than justice. So you we you and I, from a New Testament perspective, and very glibly dismiss these things because we know that God is compassionate, has mercy, and uh, there's a concept of forgiveness with God, and he, his right is his justice is not violated because uh, he has made provision. To forgive by having the price paid. Can't just erase the slate, that would be unjust. But he has the price paid by himself. But that's all forthcoming. And uh, so, the real dispute in the book of Job is not between Job and his three friends, the real dispute in Job is between God and Satan. Satan's cynical premise is that, Job, that, uh, people, um, that God gets a devotion only because of what's in it for the worshiper. That as long as he's doing well, he worships, but when you take away all his substance and afflict him, then he'll, uh, 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 he'll uh, fall away. That's Satan's premise. And God is using Job to uh, refute that premise. So the, the debate, in a sense, is not between these three friends and Job, These three friends are simply the instruments of Satan, and Job is the pawn in this game. But God is vindicated because Job comes out, okay, God himself steps in finally at the end and and straightens that part of it out. But um, one of the things that we infer by studying the Scripture is that Satan has made towards God two accusations, that you are not just and you have no love. These accusations presumably emerging from the fall of Satan. And the whole chronicle from Genesis to Revelation is a rebuttal of those accusations by Satan. Because uh, God is just, and he never compromises his justice, and yet certainly he has love, and he demonstrates infinite love in the provision of a Redeemer so that you and I might live. With no merit on our part. No merit on our part. If there's any merit on our part, it blows the argument. Then it's just wages. Galatians, right? We're back in show Excuse me. Okay. Basically, from verses 8 through uh, about 16, uh, basically Eliphaz is saying you can't play games with God. That's really the, the, the net of, of that uh, area. Now, The real problem that Eliphaz has, as we go through this, is he needs to correct his theology. There are deeper reasons for suffering than sin. That's why the innocent suffer. There are other things going on. And that's the whole burden, if you will, of of the book of Job. So Eliphaz continues, but we'll pick up Job's reply in chapter 6. Chapter 6 and 7 is Job's reply to this first speechmaker. And um, it's interesting that his reply is not to Eliphaz, it's to all three of these turkeys. Um, In chapter 6, his his, his address appears to be primarily aimed at um, uh, the three guys. In chapter 7, he continues, but he really is addressing God. As uh, as Job uh, gets into this, um, his main point in the early stages here is that Job has—he doesn't say he's sinless, but he has confessed his sin. There, the real issue is there is no, in Job's presentation, there is no unconfessed sin. That's the, his main rebuttal uh, to these guys. Um, verse chapter six, verse one. But Job answered and said, "Oh." that my grief were thoroughly weighed and my calamity laid in the balances together. For now it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words are swallowed up. The arrows of the Almighty are within me. The poison of it drinketh up my spirit. The terrors of God do set themselves in array against me. Doth the wild ass bray when he hath grass? Or loweth the ox over his fodder? Can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? What things <laughs> what things that my soul refused to touch are as loathsome food to me? Oh, that I might have my request, and that God would grant me the thing I long for, even that it would please God to destroy me, that he would let, loose his hand and cut me off. Then should I have comfort? Yea, I would harden myself in sorrow. Let him not spare, for I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. What is my strength that I should hope? And what is mine end that I should prolong my life? Is my strength the strength of stones, or the flesh of bronze, or my flesh, of bro- <clears throat> or is my flesh of bronze? Is not my help in me? Is, is wisdom driven quite from me? To him that is afflicted, pity should be shown from his friend. But he forsaketh the fear of the Almighty. My brethren have dealt deceitfully, like a brook, and like the stream of brooks they pass away, which are blackish by reason of the ice in which the snow is hidden. At what time, At what time they become warm, they vanish. When it is hot, they are consumed out of their place. The paths of their way are turned aside. They go to nothing and perish. And the troops of Timaluk and the companies of Sheba waited for them. They were confounded because they had hoped. They came thither and were ashamed... For now ye are nothing. Ye see my casting down and are afraid. Did I say, bring, them un- bring unto me, or give a reward for me of your substance, or deliver me from the enemy's hand, or redeem me from the hand of the mighty? Teach me, and I will hold my tongue, and cause me to understand that in that in which I have erred. How forcible are right words! But what doth your arguing reprove? Do, you, do ye imagine to reprove words and speeches of one that is desperate, which are as wind? <laughs> yea, ye overwhelm the fatherless, ye dig a pit for your friend. Now therefore be content, look upon me, for it is evident unto you if I lie. Return, I pray you, let it not be uh, iniquity. Yea, return again, my righteousness is in it. Is there iniquity in my tongue? Cannot my taste discern perverse things? And on he goes. Highly poetic and yet quite direct. He's, he's, uh, uh protesting his innocence. And their premise is that he's not. And chapter 7 is pretty much the same flavor. He is um, in agony. He, because of his pain and because of his inability to determine the cause that underlies his torment, He's both hopeless and helpless. That is basically his his uh, his plight. Now, uh, we can go through verse by verse, chapter seven, but the essence of it is is that Job has given up. He is expressing, in very poetic terms, just honest despair. Because he can't explain why it is that all this has come upon him, and um, Let's pick it up by verse 16. I loathe it. I would not live always. Let me alone for my days of vanity. Then we get in this, What is man that thou shouldest magnify him, that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him, that thou shouldest visit him every morning and test him every moment? And how long wilt thou look away from me and let, nor let me alone till I swallow down my spittle? I have sinned. What shall I do unto thee, O thou preserver of men? Why hast thou set me as a mark against thee so that I am burdened to myself. He's here shifting his agony to God. Like, like, why why me? What's going on? Why? Why dost thou not pardon my transgression, take away mine iniquity? For now shall I sleep in the dust, and thou shalt seek me in the morning, but I shall not be. Basically, a, an expression of confusion and anguish and, and uh, pretty straightforward. Now, the problem we're having, the problem he's having, is that the purposes in view are not visible to him. The issues are not between the three friends and Job, it's between God and Satan. Satan's purpose here is through the pain and through the, the uh, what should I put it in quotations, the comfort of these friends. Um, those are two aspects. Thirdly, there's the silence of God. We're going to see more and more Job frustrated because God doesn't speak. And later on, he's going to essentially pray that God will somehow communicate. And um, the whole thrust of this onslaught is Satan is hoping to break his faith, to break his faith. What's God's viewpoint in all this? What's God trying to accomplish with Job? He's trying to teach truths to Job and through him to us. Teach truth. He's trying also, in effect, to deepen the theology. We will understand through all of this God better. Not completely, ever completely, but better. And also what God is doing, he's he's, uh, answering Satan before the principalities and powers, before the angels. The real premise behind Job, despite how it looks to Job and his friends and all that, God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. Okay. Now, Job has a tough time. We're going to, as we wander through these dialogues, uh, they're very eloquent, very poetic, but how many here are going through a trial? You know what I mean. Uh, One reason I took Job is we're going through the biggest trial of our lives right now. I thought Job would be a good thing, except it turns out that... uh, um, uh, it doesn't fit. See, Job was innocent. I'm not. <laughs> I work very hard to get myself in the mess I'm in right now. But the other thing is is the, the real answer here isn't uh, just why do the innocent suffer. The real answer is to understand God better. But as we look at Job and see him struggle, I'm going to suggest to you that we have less reason than he has to fail because we have more perspective than he has. Set aside the magnitude of the agony for the moment. Because with all our problems, we could take a poll. But I don't think any of us have problems like he had, right? So, um, and yet uh, um, that isn't the issue. We have more insight. Job was not. See, we we've had the privilege of seeing chapter one and two. Job didn't. We don't know this thing going on with Satan and God. Job didn't. And yet, Job by faith just endures. So, um, okay. The now we'll, we, we'll we'll pick up another. Another character steps up. You see, uh, Eliphaz took his turn at bat. So Bildad the Brutal steps up. And uh, he opens up pretty direct. The first question, in effect, is can God be wrong? Right? You know, can God be wrong? That's a question that self-answers. What is being right, like being God? Can God be not like himself? I don't think so. So that's just a rhetorical question, obviously. But... uh, Bildad opens up and he says... See, see Eliphaz uh, opened up diplomatically, eloquently, gently. Bildad doesn't mess around. He just jumps in. How long wilt thou speak these things? How long wilt the words of thy mouth be like a strong wind? And I don't know what the Hebrew really means, if that means like breaking air, or if that means... But anyway. Um, Verse 3. Doth God pervert justice, or doth the Almighty pervert righteousness? If thy children have sinned against him, uh, and he hath cast them away from their transgression. If thou wouldest seek unto God early and make the application of the Almighty, if thou wert pure and upright, surely now he would awake for thee and make the habitation of the righteousness prosperous. Though thy beginning was small, yet in the, thy latter end should, uh, should greatly increase. For inquire, I pray thee, of the former age, and prepare thyself to the search of their fathers. And, and on he goes." Basically, in verse 8 and down here in, in verse 9, he's, he's telling him to repent. That's the, that's the net of it. And, uh, and as he moves on here, his basic, his, his basic premise is not is hard to argue with. Man must have God's blessing in order to prosper. That's really what he's saying. Verse 10, Shall they, shall they not teach thee and tell thee the utter words out of their, uh, out of their heart? Can the rush grow up without mire? Can the flag grow without water? While it is yet in its greenness, and not cut down, it withereth before any other herb. So are the paths of all who forget God. And the hypocrite's hope shall perish, whose confidence shall be cut off, and whose trust shall be a spider's web. He shall lean upon his house, but it shall not stand, it shall hold it fast, and it shall not endure. How green before the sun his branch shooteth forth in his garden. And on he goes. And again, down in verse 20, "...behold, God will not cast, cast away a perfect man, neither will he help evildoers, till he fill thy mouth with laughing and thy lips with rejoicing. They that hate thee shall be clothed with shame, and the dwelling place of the wicked shall come to nothing." That's Bildad's contribution. Um, you can take the words he's saying and defend them theologically you can't prosper without God's blessing. And no one here will debate that, right? But the way he's applying it is insensitive and oblivious to the fact that other things may be going on. Now, we can sit here smugly and criticize. See, we're, we're, most of us aren't into this enough to get into the poetry and the structure. There's all kinds of literary aspects. of this. I'm setting those aside. real issue here is, is the arguments are hard to debate, and yet what do we learn from it? One of the things you might be alert to is what they didn't do. If three of you came to me to offer me comfort in my trials, what would we do first? You got it. A plus, class. Did they pray? No. There are lots of prayers in the book of Job, but they're all Job's prayers. Interesting. None from Eliphaz, Bildad, and uh, so forth. And um, so, the... um, but the other premise, the other thing they do, they don't pray. That's the first point. Secondly, they don't try to hear Job. They take his words and throw them right back at him. If we studied this, if we took the time, like, to study this carefully, we'd discover there's a real uh, tennis match going on here with the words and the ideas back and forth. And they throw it. They they, they take things later on. They'll take things Job said and throw it back at him, rather than hear the man hear his words, understand his agony, have some empathy for the pain he's going through. There's none of that. They're all arguing theology. And the theology is is not incorrect, it's incomplete. Truth that's incomplete isn't truth. It's partial truth. And uh, so, first thing they need to do is identify with his hurt. Now, we can glibly and smugly look at that, but let's remember that when you're encountering someone who's hurting. First thing is to really understand the hurt. And also understand that you can't understand the hurt. If you really understand the hurt, you know that you can't understand the hurt. I don't care what you've been through. Unless you've been through, even if you've been through exactly what they're going through, different it's not, not exactly so. We should, the more hurt we've experienced, the more sensitive we should be when somebody else is hurting, that it's unique. And, of course, the theology is incomplete and they don't pray. Those are the three main points, if you will, that seem to emerge from this, these helpful three characters. Bill's getting worried. We might make 30 chapters at the rate we're going, aren't we? Didn't say I wouldn't cut a few corners, no. Okay, now, Bill, Dad took uh, chapter 8 to, uh, to nail uh, Job. Job takes two chapters to rebut him, chapters 9 and 10. And uh, so... Job's rebuttal, by the way, is also inadequate in its theology. Job is no hero here in the sense of being anything other than a poor guy really suffering. Uh, chapter 9, verse 1, verse, first three verses, essentially, he's, also, he's got inadequate theology. Job answered and said, I know it is so of a truth, but how should man be just before God? If he will contend with him, he cannot answer him once in a thousand times. In other words, see, it's, it's 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 not a contest between man and God. You got to be kidding. <laughs> That's not the issue. See, Job's fallen into the trap of answering uh, 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 in the wrong domain with these guys. But anyway, verse. Um, the next uh, half dozen verses, Joe Job makes the point that God is wiser than man. All of us that read First Corinthians, first couple of chapters, First Corinthians. Paul eloquently states the same thing, but, but verse 4, is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who hath hardened himself against him, and who hath prospered? He it is who removeth the mountains, and they know not, and who overturneth them in his anger, who shaketh the earth out of its place, and the pillars of it tremble, and who commandeth the sun, and it riseth not, and sealeth up the stars, who alone spreadeth out the heavens, and treadeth upon the waves of the sea, who maketh Who maketh Arcturus, Orion, and the Pleiades, and the chambers of the south. One of the interesting things about the book of Job is there's a lot of references uh, to uh, the stars. Uh, Do you reckon Arcturus? You can find Arcturus. All of you can find Arcturus in the sky, right? No? Sure you can. You know how to find the north star. Could you take the two-pointer stars? Take the handle of the big dip, the curved handle, and follow. It's an arc. It'll point to a bright star. It's Arcturus. Arcturus. That's the way to remember it. That's not why it's called Arcturus. It's just a way to remember it, right? Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's, uh, call it Job star if you like. That's Arcturus. Orion. You know Orion, the Irish hunter, Orion, right? <laughs> You'll remember, you remember it, though, won't you? See? And the Pleiades. Okay. We will take an occasion later to sort of wrap up the references in Job. I don't want to distract the thrust of the, of the arguments by... Peppered all through here are some interesting allusions, and we'll cover those later separately. But, uh, anyway, uh, verse 10. Who doeth great things past finding out? Yea, wonders without number. Can't quarrel with, you know, Job. He's not getting into a contest with God. He's smarter than that. Lo, he goeth by me, and I see him not. He passeth me on also, but I perceive him not. In other words, God is invisible. That's part of Job's frustration. He he is conscious of the awe and majesty and grandeur of God, but he's frustrated because he can't see Him. He can't hear Him. God is silent. Job continues here, and the basic thing is that life, while he's, he's awed by God, life becomes unbearable if he can't comprehend God. Because if he can't comprehend Him, how can he handle it? So... From this awareness of God, Job moves into a, um, a despair, bewilderment, fear. He doesn't understand God. Job, while acknowledging God, goes through despair. But there's a ray of light that shows up in chapter 9. That's, it's a hint of what's coming. And uh, let's pick it up about, oh, let's pick it up about uh, verse uh, 32 of 9. For he is not a man as I am that I should answer him and that we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman between us that might lay his hand upon us both. In other words, an intermediary. An intermediary. Job is, hints here that one of the missing links is a link between he and God. He recognizes he's very, very... The reason he's in such despair is he's very conscious of, of the gap between man and God. He knows God's in control. He acknowledges that He's running the universe, and yet here he is, in desperate needs and a puny man. God is invisible; He can't hear him, and and uh, you know, he never disparages God. He later on will start to blame and gets in he gets around that edge of of, of uh, being uh, criticizable. But, but uh, he recognizes the need for a mediator. Now you and I. He's going to talk more about this mediator by the way. Chapter 19 is one of the most fabulous has one of the most fabulous verses in the Bible, but that's getting ahead of us here. Okay. Now, one of the things that comes out of this book, I believe, is there are some truths that God will try to teach you that you cannot learn out of the book. The daisman is an uh, uh, immediate, connotes it's connotative of immediate. But uh, don't miss my t- thought, Bill, I'm sorry. Um, there are some things that you can't learn from a book. There are some things that God will teach you only through hurts and experiences of life. And that's part of what Job's experiencing and part of what we would hope to learn from this. And in fact, one of the prayers we might have when we go through one of these valleys is that the lessons not be wasted like to go through these valleys once, right? Some courses you don't want to repeat. Job continues in chapter 10, and his basic prayer, it's basically a prayer, and he basically has two requests. Either let me understand or leave me alone. That's really his... his, uh, his uh... Now, by the way, this daysman idea, this media thing is going to come up again in several ways. It's going to come up in chapter 19 with a manifest declaration of the resurrection of the body by Job in in the oldest book of the Bible. Also, the possibility exists that that's what Elihu is all about. Because we're, when we get through these discourses with these three friends, and they really reach a stalemate, they peter out. Zophar doesn't even answer the last round. And Job hangs up on them, in effect. That'll happen before we get through but then this young guy shows up, Elihu, and uh, it's and he's he's a mystery. He's, he's a mystery. I'm fascinated. I've got a lot of books on the Book of Job because I'm trying to do some research and background. It's amazing the diversity of opinion about Elihu. Well, we'll that's we're getting ahead of ourselves. We'll t- get, we'll take care of Elihu when we get there. But the point is, one possibility is that Elihu is a an a, 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 a uh, an early intermediary. God Himself will answer for Job out of a whirlwind, and that's the most one of the most magnificent passages in the Bible. One of, the real, one of the real, to me, one of the great excitements of the book of Job. But let's... Uh, in, in, uh, in chapter 10, that's basically uh, what uh, Job is saying. Chapter 10, verse 1, My soul is weary of my life. I will leave my complaint upon myself. I will speak in bitterness of my soul. I will say unto God, Do not condemn me. Show me why thou contendest with me. One of Job's frustrations is the apparent silence. Of God, and he goes on about that. And uh, we get down to verse twenty. He uh, he he. In effect, he, after after developing this whole idea of I you know I need to know. Get down to verse twenty, and are are not my days few? Cease then, and let me alone that I may take comfort a little, before I go to the place from which I shall not return, even to the land of darkness and the shadow of death. A land of darkness is darkness itself, and the shadow of death without any order where. The light is as darkness. A despondent, frustrated, despairing, tormented man. Don't misunderstand, Job's. Ag- he's speaking from his agony here. He is going to talk about life after death in a way that uh, few of us could add to. It's uh, It's uh... So okay. Well, now we've had we've heard two out of the three guys, right? And um, now we have Zophar the Zealous, okay? And uh, he, he just, frankly, he just hammers the same theme again, perhaps a little more aggressively. And answered Zophar the name, of fact, said, Should not the multitude of words be answered? Should a man full of talk be justified? Strange remark for him to make. But anyway, should thy lies make men... Uh, hold their peace, should thy lies... Do you get the tone here? It's getting rough. The politeness of Eliphaz has now deteriorated to pretty aggressive rock throwing. And this whole thing is amazing because here's this poor guy suffering and these three friends come to comfort him and they're in a big argument. They're fighting over these theological issues. They go through three rounds of this stuff. And uh, while it's elegant poetry and it's worthy of more intense study than I'm giving it uh, tonight... um, the net of it is, is that it's a strange thing because they're, they they finally, uh, uh, Job just calls a halt to it all. Anyway, chapter 11, uh, verse uh, 3, 4. For thou hast said, verse 4, my my doctrine is pure, and I am clean in mine eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips against thee, that he would show thee the secrets of wisdom, that they, that they are double to that which is. Know therefore that God exacteth of thee less than thine iniquity deserveth. In other words, here's this poor guy sitting on the ash heap in pain and agony. We went through the whole list last time. I won't go through that now. And these guys traveled a long way to come to him, to comfort him from three different areas. And uh, they're saying to him in the argument here that uh, he hasn't even got as much as he deserves. I don't know how they got to that conclusion, huh? You know? Know therefore that God exacteth of thee less than thine iniquity deserves. Heavy, is just strange, isn't it? And now now we have a a condemnation. of. By the way, what's interesting about this is that self-condemning condemns religion here in any form. Verse 7, Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? It is as high as the heaven. What canst thou do? Deeper than Sheol, what canst thou know? The measure of it is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he cut off and shut up or gather together, who then can hinder him? For he knoweth vain men, he seeth wickedness also. Will he not then consider it? For vain man would be wise, though man be born like a wild ass's colt. If thou prepare thine heart and stretch out thine hands toward him, if iniquity be in thine hand, put it far away, and let not wickedness dwell in thy tents. See again, the whole thing is repent. You, are obviously a sinner, obviously got to repent. And uh, verse twenty, last uh, it says, uh, "But the eyes of the wicked shall fail, and they shall not escape, and their hope shall be as one dying." Sharp words. So far as uh, not delicate at all, and uh, but again. There is no understanding help here. There's no identity with Job's hurt. There's just this theological battle going on. And uh, now, if we, as we go through this, and I'm obviously going to try just to give it a light touch because it's heavy stuff and you get the gist of it. But the main point is every argument that has ever occurred are in these words, in these dialogues. Every nuance uh, is explored in this book, both mental and physical, and all the tormenting questions are asked, and uh, all the dilemmas that haunt men are faced, and uh, Job has felt it all, and he articulates it eloquently. Doesn't mean his arguments are valid. It just says that he, his feel, the the emotion really shows through in the poetry. Now, these answers, all these questions are going to be answered before the book's over, but in a way that we never would have anticipated. And obviously not by these three friends and not by Job himself. Now, Job now takes three chapters, 12, 13, and 14, to respond to these guys. And... uh, He's very sarcastic. He says, you guys apparently know it all. When you guys pass away, the world will be absent knowledge. (laughs) So uh, Job... uh, Job, (laughs) That's uh, that's the gist of it here. Get the flavor of uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Job answered and said, No doubt, but ye are the people, and wisdom shall die with you. (laughs) Even in the English. A lot of... one reason it's hard to deal with this is you really to really get the full meaning of the Hebrews if you have to get into the translational issues and stuff, and I, I just didn't think that would be constructive. But here, at several places, it surfaces even in the English. They get the you can just sense the irony or the sarcasm, drips with sarcasm. This area, verse three. But I have understanding as well as you, and I am not inferior to you. Yea, who knoweth not such things as these? I am as one mocked by his neighbor who calleth upon God and He answers him. And just and uh, the just and upright man is laughed to scorn. He that is ready to slip with the feet, uh, his feet is like a lamp despised in the thought of him that is at ease. The tents of the robbers prosper, and they that provoke God are secure, unto whose hand God bringeth abundantly. But ask now the beasts, and they shall teach thee; and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee; or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee; and the fishes of the sea, and it shall, de- it shall declare to thee unto thee. Who knoweth not all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this, in whose hand is the soul of every living thing, and the breath of all mankind? Doth not the ear test words, and the mouth taste its food? With the ancient is wisdom, and the length of days is understanding. With him is wisdom and strength. He hath counsel, understanding. Behold, he breaketh down, and it cannot be built again. He shutteth up a man, and there can be no opening. Behold, he withholdeth the waters, and they dry up also. He sendeth them out, and they overturn the earth. With him is strength and wisdom, the, uh, the deceived and the deceiver are his. He leadeth counselors away, spoiled, and maketh judges fools. He looseth the, band, the bond of kings, and girdeth the loins with a girdle. Gird, their loins with a girdle. He leadeth princes away, spoiled, and overthroweth uh, the mighty. He removeth the speech of the trustworthy. He taketh away the understanding of the agent. He poureth contempt upon princes, and weaketh, weakeneth the strength of the mighty. He uncovereth deep things out of darkness, and bringeth out to light the shadow of death. He increaseth the nations and destroyeth them. He enlargeth the nations and leadeth them away. He does take away the heart of the chiefs of the people of the earth and cause them to wander in a a wilderness where there is no way. They grope in the dark without light, and and he maketh them to stagger like a drunken man. All this is just Job's way of saying that he understands God as well as they do. That's really what he's, he's, uh, you know, and um, earlier, when he talks about the contempt for misfortune, he's just saying, you guys haven't been there where he is, okay? And you just haven't uh, faced the facts, and life testifies that you're wrong. And the rest of this from 7 on is uh, God does as he pleases. See, Job has a, 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 some important insights here. You know, he understands that God is God. He has a, he has a, res- a frustration but a respect for the sovereignty of God. More so than they have. See, they're trying to put God in the box, that there are rules, and, and you can count of, you know, they have this nice simplistic theology, and they think that explains everything, and it obviously doesn't. Now, in chapter 13, he continues, and his basic theme here is, is that their words haven't helped, their silence would be more welcome. Okay? And... Uh, He's going to make the point uh, down here that uh, God is going to judge Job, but he's also going to judge them too. They, better, they ought to be more careful. Okay. And, uh, verse 5, O oh, that ye would altogether hold your peace, it should be your wisdom. <laughs> okay. Verse 4, But ye are forgers of lies, ye are all physicians of no value. Or oh, that you would altogether hold your peace, it should be your wisdom. Hear now my reasoning and hearken to the pleadings of my lips. Will ye speak wickedly for God and talk deceitfully for him? Will ye accept his person? Will ye contend for God? It is, good. is it good that he should search you out? As one mocketh together, so do ye mark, uh, so mock him? He will sure, surely reprove you if ye do secretly accept persons. He, Shall not his excellency make you afraid and his dread fall upon you? Your remembrances are like unto ashes, your bodies to bodies of clay. Hold your peace, let me alone, that I may speak, and let come on me what will. Why do I take my flesh and my teeth and put my life in mine hand? And verse 15 is one of the most famous verses in the book of Job. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. I will defend mine own ways before him. Boy, I wish I could say that. I'd love to posture myself before you that I'm I'm where he's at. Boy, I wish I was. That's though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Boy, that's a make that, that that's worthy of some real thought. Verse 16: He shall also be my salvation. For a hypocrite shall not come before him. See, it's interesting. Uh, Job has confidence. Despite all what he's going through, he has confidence in the justice of God. It's easy for us to put ourselves in Job's shoes and say, gee, we'd have confidence in the love and the compassion and the mercy of God. That's easy, in a sense. Job is saying, I have confidence in the justice of God, despite the apparent injustice of life, where the wicked prosper and the innocent suffer. He still says... Right, "He." He shall also be my salvation, for a hypocrite shall not come before me. Job's also saying, I'm not a hypocrite, I'm sincere. But he's also saying, a hypocrite will not survive. Who's he talking about? Three guys, I think. Huh? Hear diligently my speech and my declaration with your ears. Behold, now I have ordered my cause. I, ha- I know that I shall be justified. Who is he that shall plead with me? For now I will hold my tongue, I shall die. Only do not two things unto me. Then I will not hide myself from thee. Withdraw thine hand far from me, and let not the dread of thee make me afraid. And call thou, and I will answer, and let me speak, and answer me. How many are mine iniquities and sins? Let me to know my transgression. He's speaking to God now, see. He's, putting, he's requesting of God two things. See, from verse 20 on through 14, he is, if he could talk to God, this is what he would say. Two things. First of all, withdraw your hand from me, meaning I want to, if I could talk to God, I'd like to talk to him, not out of the agony and torment of my present anguish. So i would like that relieved, okay? The second thing he's asking God to do is to veil his presence so that Job won't be terrified of the awesomeness of a mighty God. It's interesting. Job wants to talk to God, but he also recognizes this, there's such a gulf that he's, he's afraid of being terrified by being in the presence of God. So he says, verse 21, he says, Withdraw thine hand from me, and let me not, the dread of thee make me afraid. And call thou, and I will answer, and let me speak, and answer thou me. How many are mine iniquities and sins? Make me to know my transgression and my sin. Why hidest thou thy face, and holdest me from thine enemy? Wilt thou break a leaf driven to and fro? Wilt thou pursue dry stubble? For thou writest bitter things against me, and makest me to possess the iniquities of my youth. Thou puttest my feet also in the stocks, and watchest all my paths. Thou settest a print upon the heels of my feet, and he, like a rotten thing, consumeth, like a garment that is a moth-eaten. Man is man that is born of chapter fourteen. Man that is born of woman is a few days, and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower, and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow, and continueth not. Dost thou open thine eyes upon such a one, and bringest me into judgment with thee? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? No one. Seeing his days are determined. The number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. Turn from him, that he may rest till he shall accomplish as a hireling his day. For there is hope for a tree. If it be cut down, it will sprout again, and its tender branch will not cease. Though its root grow old in the earth, and its stock die in the ground, yet at the scent of water it will bud and bring forth boughs like a plant. But man dieth and wasteth away, yea, man expireth, uh, and where is he? As the waters fail from the sea, and as the flood decayeth and drieth up, so man lieth down and riseth not. Till the heavens be no more, they shall not awake, nor be raised up out of their sleep. O that thou wouldest hide me in Sheol, that thou wouldest conceal me until thy wrath is past. Thou shouldest appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man die, shall he live again? Oh interesting question. All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. Interesting. Here we have the first hint, it's going to get climaxed in chapter nineteen. Shall I shall it, if a man die, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. He's talking about the resurrection of the body. He's not talking about a spirit. He's talking about the resurrection of the body. That will become very clear in chapter 19. Thou shalt call, and I will answer thee. I, uh, thou wilt have a desire to the work of thine hands. For now thou numberest my steps. Dost thou not watch over my sin? My transgression is sealed up in a bag, and thou sowest up my iniquity. Surely the mountain falling cometh to nothing, and the rock of it is moved out of its place. The waters wear stones. Thou washest away the things which grow out of the dust of the earth, and and thou destroyest the hope of man. Thou prevailest forever against him, and he passeth, and thou changest his countenance, and and sendest him away. His sons come to honor, and he knoweth it not, and they they are brought low. But he perceiveth it not of them, but his flesh upon him shall have pain, and his soul uh, within him shall mourn. Well, that's the first round. Graphic description of the helplessness of man. That is the helplessness of natural man. Okay? It's interesting that uh, with the exception of this resurrection hint here, the basic, this idea, the whole idea is, you know, uh, it's, it's similar to the psalmist who says that, Lord, teach us to number of our days that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. Man is frail. Man is short. Man is very temporal. temporal. Now, um, It's it's interesting how our whole culture tries to take advantage of that, you know, live high for it's you know now, go for the gusto, you know. It's interesting how uh, the whole idea that uh, you li- you live for the now rather than as all that all focuses on the short frailty of man. Okay, anyway, round one is complete. Now we go to round two. There are three rounds of this stuff. So, uh, I have resisted the temptation to want to go through the whole thing verse by verse. We've we'll just uh, uh, we've been through the first round in some detail. The second round has nothing new to add. They just go at it more with different words, but the same same uh, um, same theme. Eliphaz takes the first uh, 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 crack at this, and this time Eliphaz is not courteous at all. He jumps right in, and uh, uh, especially in verses 7 through 9, he he um, accuses... It's interesting how this, this comfort turns out to be accusation. Do you see these three friends are the instruments of whom? The accuser. They're not comforting, they're accusing. And Eliphaz, round, he accuses uh, Job of pretentious claims. Here, this guy's in agony. And listen to verse 7. Art thou the first man that was born? Art thou made before the hills? Hast thou heard the secret of God? Hast thou... Limit, wis, uh, d- d- dost thou limit wisdom to thyself? What knowest thou that we know not? What understandest thou which is not in us? How would you like these guys to make your hospital calls? Huh? <laughs> Great guys. And, he, and he, he returns to the same worn-out theology. He goes right through. and I, 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 uh, So, uh, again, it's a one-chapter shot by Eliphaz and we have a two-chapter answer by Job, chapter 16. And uh, basically in chapter 16, what Job says is that he's honest, he's not a hypocrite. He doesn't know what to say, but he doesn't doesn't, um, uh, give in in the sense of admitting that there's some secret sin that's causing all of this. Uh, He he rebukes them, the first four or five verses, of of, he rebukes them for misunderstanding and uh, Oh, just take a flavor of it. Uh, uh, chapter sixteen, verse one. Job answered and said, "I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters, comforters are ye all. I told you he was an honest man. Shall vain words have an end? And what emboldeneth thee to, that thou answerest? I also could speak as ye do, if your soul were in my soul's stead. I could heap up words against you and shake mine head at you." But I would strengthen you with my mouth, and the moving of my lips would assuage your grief. Though I speak, my grief is not assuaged. And though I forbear, in what way am I eased? But now he hath made me weary, and hath made me desolate, all my company. And thou hast filled me with wrinkles, which is a witness against me, and my leanness rising up in me, beareth witness to my face. He teareth me in his wrath. And he goes on. Verse 10. They have gaped upon me with their mouth. They have smitten me upon uh, the cheek reproachfully. They have gathered themselves together against me. Some people might say it's a messianic thing. It could be. God hath delivered me to the ungodly, turned me over to the hands of the wicked. I was at ease, but he hath broken me asunder, and also taken me by my neck, shaken me to pieces, set me up for his mark. And on he goes. interesting, verse 10, uh, tie verse 10 down here to verse... uh, 21, 16. Oh, that one might plead for a man with God as a man pleadeth for his neighbor. See, here again, Job's plea is for a man to be an intermediary. In a small local sense, Elihu might fit that role, but obviously the real role is that of Jesus Christ. When a few years are come, then I shall go the way from which I shall not return. You know, it's interesting that we speak of the patience of Job. Who's the one that's really being patient here? God is. Absolutely right. He finally steps in. There's enough of this, but it's interesting that uh, all these guys are shooting off their mouth and and God is just, God's the one that's patient. Chapter 17, uh, Job continues, and it's really, again, in the the form of a prayer that God will set him free. And... uh, Verse 3, lay down down now, put me in a surety with thee. Who is he who will strike hands with me? For thou hast hidden their heart from understanding, therefore shalt thou not exalt them. He that speaketh flattery to his friends, even the eyes of his children shall fail. He hath made me also a byword of the people, and I was as one before whom men spit. My eye is also dim by reason of sorrow and all my members are like a shadow. Upright men shall be astounded at this and innocent men shall stir up himself against the hypocrite. The righteous also shall hold on his way and he that hath clean hands shall be stronger and stronger. But as for you all, do you return and come now? I cannot find one wise man among you. My days are past and my purposes are broken off. Even the thoughts of my heart, they change the night unto day. The light is short because of darkness. If I wait, Sheol is mine house. And where is my hope? As for my hope, who shall see it? They shall all go down to the bars of Sheol when our rest together is in the dust. Okay, then we get to Bildad, and uh, uh, he is just angry and throws at him a lot of platitudes and and proverbs, again hammering the same narrow, rigid uh, uh, dogma of his theology. And uh, 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 pretty straightforward stuff. And again, chapter 19, Job replies to Bildad. First three verses are his feelings about his friends. Job answered and said, How long will you vex my soul and break me into pieces with words? These ten times have you reproached me. ye are not ashamed that you make yourselves strange to me? And be it indeed that I have erred, my error remaineth with myself. If indeed ye shall magnify yourselves against me and plead my reproach, and so on. And uh, for another half a dozen verses, he just explains his confusion. He's baffled as to what's going on here. He doesn't have, have any, does not have any good answers. And now uh, through about verse 19, you get a sense of his isolation. There's nothing harder to understand by Job than the rejection of those who should understand. Nothing more frustrating than to be accused if you're innocent. And nothing more difficult to accept is when you're rejected by those who should understand. Now, verse 23 is interesting. Job says, Oh, that my words were now written! Oh, that they would be printed in a book, that they were engraved with an iron pen and laid in the rock forever. How ironic. Does Job realize that was literally fulfilled? Indeed, his words are now written in a book. But my favorite in the book of Job are the next three verses. I remember reading these as a teenager, and it just blew me away because I was sensitive to where, you know, Job's the oldest book of the Bible. And notice what Job says in verses 25, 26, and 27. Despite, now, despite his pain, his anguish, his frustration at the, these jerks that are trying to supposed to comfort him, his frustration that God doesn't seem to be speaking, despite all that. And he has no answers. But he's got one very interesting answer. Verse 25, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at that latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet... In my flesh I shall see God. That's the resurrection of the body, friends. Whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins or my heart, be consumed within me. What a magnificent passage. If you're inclined to memory verse at all, boy, take those three. They're dandies. They are just magnificent. Magnificent thing happening in Job, Job doesn't do too badly. The real problem that you and I have, and that Job has, is that life is painted on too large a canvas. You see, we don't have the whole picture. Job didn't have. We have a bigger picture than Job has, because we've seen the Satan thing uh, uh, that sets the stage here. Job didn't have that. But even there, we don't have a lot of answers. And we need to remember that when we have our troubles and trials. We have life on too large a canvas, we need to trust the artist. We need to trust the artist. Well, let's see. We're getting... Chapter 20, Zophar takes another crack at it. This is just the second round, but this is Zophar's last round. Because when we get to the third round, Zophar is cashed in. Zophar does the same... He hammers the same stuff. You know, and it's the same. It's a, it, all these three guys are in effect Pharisees. Orthodoxy without godliness, outward uh, manifestations rather than inward change. They're deadly enemies of the truth. But before we get too critical, make sure we're not looking in the mirror here. So in chapter twenty, we'll you know give so far as do, and that's fine. And and now in chapter twenty one, uh, Job gives a very careful reply at this earlier he was sarcastic chapter 21 he is more reasoned, more careful he's trying to get to these guys okay he in effect says if you can't help at least listen to me it is god who is my problem because i don't understand him he's not accusing god exactly he's just agonizing the fact that he doesn't understand god and uh Chapter verses seven through thirteen hammer the same, same thing again. The wicked are unharmed. That's part of the the innocent suffer, but the wicked are unharmed. That's the whole problem. And uh, from uh, in, 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 from verses twelve through about sixteen, very similar. You should compare it with Psalm seventy three. Very very similar type of uh, expression. The wicked are unharmed. The wicked uh, defy God, and yet they prosper. And the real frustration in verse 17 and elsewhere, uh, 17, 18, God's judgment is infrequent. Part of the frustration here is God's judgment doesn't come that often enough. See, it's God's patience that, in a sense, is the issue. You and I should be, you know, we, with our insights, we're grateful that God doesn't. Uh, He's withholding judgment. But uh, that's part of the the whole net of this is life is unfair. And it uh, gets down to verse 27, 28, he just accuses them of being uh, 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 false friends. Behold, I know your thoughts and devices which ye wrongfully imagine against me, for ye say, where is the house of the prince, and where are the dwelling places of the wicked? And so forth. He, he, he's, uh, they're just accusing him. And uh, from 29 through the end, or, uh, the, the, it just talks about the fact that the wicked uh, can, they, they live in uh, defiance of the law. They are above the law. And uh, basically, uh, the arguments are that uh, their their doctrines are demolished by experience. That's what Job is really saying. Well, we get to a third and final round. There's only two speakers in this one, Eliphaz and uh, Bildad. And uh, Eliphaz uh, uh, loses his cool completely, really gets at it this time. And uh, so uh, he, 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 he um, accuses Job of uh, false motives and false charges. And uh, there, there, at this point, there really is an argument going on, between a heated emotional argument between them. And uh, Satan, of course, continued to try to get Job to uh, blame God as being unfair and unjust. And Job comes awfully close, but doesn't do that. And uh, the um, verses 17 and 18 in chapter 22 are mimics of Job in chapter 21, 16, for whatever that's worth. There, there's some of that going on, but in the interest of just keep, we'll keep moving here. Job replies, then, in 23 and 24, and Job no longer even attempts to answer the arguments. He simply cries out from a troubled heart how he feels. And the whole thrust of, of, of uh, chapter 23 is that um, he's frustrated because God seems to be absent. But this is just the anguish of a troubled troubled man. Chapter 24, Job cries out, why is God silent? Now, you and I can look at this with some perspective because we have the benefit of the New Testament uh, perspective here. And uh, Some people regard verse 10 of chapter 23 as a high point. But he knoweth the way I take, and when he testeth me, I shall come forth as gold. See, Job somehow is confident that he's going to endure this thing. He somehow does, even though he... His, his horizon is limited. He does understand that there's a testing going on. He's he's, he's resolved to to come through it. And uh, So, this is Job's uh, 23 and 24, God being apparently absent, apparently silent. That's just God's manifestation of God's patience. Paul talks about that in Romans in terms of uh, God uh, being long-suffering and so forth. And Peter also says, don't, don't ca- count... Uh, uh, God is being slow, as men count slackness, and so forth. And, uh, there are some uh, things that are worth uh, highlighting for ourselves here. Um, Bildad comes back in chapter 25 with just a six-verse rebuttal. Same stuff, nothing new. But Job's reply to Bildad includes some interesting remarks. In chapter 26 is where Job hangs up the phone. He said, no, he, he 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 just uh, verse twenty chapter twenty six verse one." Job answered and said, "How long? How hast thou helped him that is without power? How savest thou the arm that hath no strength? How hast thou counselled him that hath no wisdom? How hast thou plentifully declared the thing as it is? To whom hast thou uttered words? And whose spirit came from thee? Dead things are formed from under the waters, and their and their inhabitants Sheol is naked before him, and destruction hath no covering." Speaking to God now. Notice verse 7. It's dandy. He stretcheth out the north over empty space and hangeth the earth upon nothing. Put that in your astrophysics textbook. That's pretty neat. There's a whole study of the north. I'm going to get into the night. He bindeth up the waters in thick clouds, and the cloud is not torn under them. He holdeth back the face of the throne and spreadeth his cloud upon it. He has compassed the waters with a boundary until the day and night come to an end. Oh, really? The pillars of heaven tremble and are astonished at his reproof. He divideth the sea with his power, and by his understanding he smiteth through the proud. By his spirit he hath garnished the heavens, and his hand hath formed the crooked serpent. By his hand he formed the crooked serpent. You know what are talking about? Constellation. The Maserat, I believe. Um, another whole study we could take off one. Lo, these are parts of his way. Lo, these are parts of his ways. But how little a portion is heard of him, but the thunder of his power who can understand. And uh, Sure, we can do Job just chapters 26, 27, 28, and 29 and 30. Yeah, in fact, this whole wrap up by Job deserves more time than we have left. So, I think what we're going to do next time is we'll take. I was hoping to get all the way to Elihu, and we didn't quite make it. I wanted to get to 30 anyway just to set Bill's clock, but didn't quite make it. Um, okay. Yeah, and, and I, you understand where I'm coming from. I don't want to do uh, do disservice to these dialogues, except while they're interesting from a literary point of view, and it's important for us to get the general gist, um, these guys don't have a lot to tell me. <laughs> and uh, Job's agony is uh, uh, pretty well expressed. Um, but his wrap-up here in the next few chapters is important enough that we should take some time with next time. And what we'll try to do next time is take that, and we'll also take... More carefully, the um, chapters 32 through 37, six chapters are given this young man. And some of the commentators describe him as a brash young man. man. Others think it might be a theophany. Neither are really true. I think it's something in between those. But it's an interesting the diversity of opinion on Elihu is something we'll then, uh, then uh, it gets uh, even more exciting to me because it, it, the most, the high point in the book of Job is uh, 38, 39, um, 40, uh, 41, where God speaks on behalf of Job, and his answer is surprising. His response, his his, his dialogue, it's just it's a. Uh, it's going to be, uh, it's an exciting passage from chapter 38 on. Very rich, very full, and, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll deal obviously with, that with, with great care and, and uh, diligence. Let's stand for a closing word of prayer. Heavy stuff. Hard to summarize too simply, and yet a uh, little laborious to take you through verse by verse. It's a lot of chapters, but um, heavy stuff. Book of Job. The one thing I hope we'll learn is how we might take some lessons when we make a call to a friend who's hurting. Let's hope we're not friends like Job had. Let's start by praying. Let's start by being sensitive to where the hurt is, and let's. Uh, of course, we have we have some advantages. We have a mediator. Job was pleading for one. We have one. We have uh, in Job uh, perhaps Elihu is a possible stand-in, but we have the ultimate mediator. You know, with all these agonies expressed by Job, that God is silent and He seems absent. You and I are beneficiaries of the bizarre idea that there's a man at the throne of God. Jesus Christ didn't become a man for 33 years. He became a man forever. And while we speak and while we study, there is a man at the throne of God. We, You and I need never have the feeling of despair or remoteness that Job did because we have our Lord and Savior. Let's bow our hearts for a word of prayer. Oh, Father, we just praise you that you are such an awesome God. And yet, and yet, Father, we're so grateful for the precision of your caring that you have provided us, Jesus Christ, that you have not only paid for all our sins, but you've also provided a mediator, one who continually makes intercession on our behalf, what a comfort, Father! We just praise you, Father, and thank you, and ask you to send your Holy Spirit to help us to grow in grace and the knowledge of Him, of our Mediator. That in all these things we might be more pleasing in Thy sight, O oh Lord, our strength and our.